I'm Jeannie Allen, and this is Reality Check. Reality Check with Jeannie Allen is produced by National Review and is one of more than a dozen podcasts offered on the National Review online website. If you'd like a free subscription to the podcast so that you never miss a program, simply sign up at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And now, here's Jeannie Allen. Hello and welcome to Reality Check. I'm Jeannie Allen. My guest today is someone who's gotten into education in the 90s after being exposed to the conditions of public education in both Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. as a student in both places. Brian Jones is not only knowledgeable about education, he's been a general counsel, he currently serves as president of Strayer Education, and he is known for being an innovator, an entrepreneur, and a leader in higher education today. And I'm so glad to welcome you, Brian, to my show. Thanks so much for being here. It's a uh, thrill to be on. Thank you, uh, Jamie. Well, I could uh, start by reading your amazing bio that uh, just spans not only a couple of decades, but involvement at all levels. Uh, And I will make sure that we have a link for all of our listeners out there because you're going to want to listen to backstory. How did you go from, how did you get to Strayer, this place that you are right now, and where did you start, really? Well, you know, I have uh, always uh, been interested in, uh, you know, public policy and education. And, um, you know, I had the, uh, the rare honor, uh, as you uh, noted, of serving uh, as general counsel uh, at the uh, Department of Education under uh, President Bush. And, um, you know, in that role, uh, really a, uh, a unique uh, role and opportunity, uh, I got to travel, uh, I think, to 37 states in uh, four years and uh, visit uh, schools uh, across the gamut. And, um, you know, as I saw uh, education reformers, uh, giving lie uh, to this idea that, you know, some kids uh, ought to be held to different standards uh, because of the circumstance of their birth or their, uh, you know, current uh, socioeconomic uh, status. It really was uh, inspired uh, by that. And uh, so at that time, I really uh, committed uh to uh, devoting uh, both my uh, professional life and uh, my volunteer time uh, to really doing what I could uh, to create uh, opportunity for every kid uh, and to really uh, to reject the idea uh, the circumstance uh, ought to define uh, the limits of uh, one's opportunities. And so, you know, I left the department. I uh, worked in uh, higher ed and just uh, kind of a a circuitous path, uh, but really one uh, steeped in higher education that brought me to Strayer six uh, years ago. It's amazing, and I want to talk about Strayer in a minute because the pathways that you are helping, in fact, I would argue that you reinvigorated uh, Strayer education to be so much more to students 
and families um, than it ever was, uh, noble as that was. But, you know, back in your days as general counsel, the Bush administration, uh, where I really began to get to know you well, that was the era, as you refer to, that that uh, the president called basically what was happening out there, the soft bigotry of low expectations, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that, that line that um, not even a line. I mean, it's just such a truth um, has Truly never been more spoken, yeah. right? And yeah. you and working for Secretary of Education Rod Page um, went around the country and talked about how we had to change people's mindsets that were in the classroom. How how do you see it now? Do you, do you think there's been changes enough or... Do we need to be doing better in how we evaluate, how we help, how we provide opportunities for students? Are we still being, are we still giving those soft bigotry of low expectations? Oh, I, I think uh, I think we still are uh, all too often, and um, uh, as I certainly uh, don't have to tell you, uh, I think one of the really critical uh, levers in uh, ensuring that uh, equality is, um, you know, having a, um, <clears throat> pardon me, a, uh, a system of uh, both a robust choice um, that really empowers uh, parents uh, to find the educational environment that uh, best uh, suits their uh, kids, uh, but also uh, an environment of uh, accountability. And uh, I do think we have uh, made some progress uh, on both uh, fronts. But I do think what we see uh, today is, um, you know, a, a renewed pushback uh, from the, uh, you know, from the defenders of the forces of the uh, status quo. Um, you know, choice and opportunity uh, can be threatening. Uh, because it does uh, disrupt uh, the system that we have uh, allowed to flourish uh, for so long. But one thing I love uh, about being in higher uh, education uh, today, education really um, broadly uh, speaking, is that we do live uh, in a time of really rapid uh, innovation. Uh, technology is uh, really driving uh, the ability to be able to personalize learning in uh, ways that were just unthinkable uh, a generation uh, ago. And I think when we uh, begin from that premise, uh, the education can be uh, personalized and uh, often is best uh, when it is uh, personalized. I think then we also have to make sure that we are creating a uh, a uh, a system of uh, uh, of education in the uh, country that really does enable or empower uh, parents and other consumers of education uh, to find the uh, educational environment that you know best suits uh, their individualized, personalized uh, needs. You just made such an amazing point about us being in this day and age of rapid innovation that should not stand in the way of anyone having the education that's most personalized, most relevant to their needs. 
And, you know, we watched for so long that, you know, K-12 try to catch up with innovation. You yourself were on the public charter board in Washington, D.C., yeah. its chair, which gave life to so many innovative schools in D.C., and we watched higher ed really kind of beat K-12 in terms of innovation. And now, if it weren't for companies like Strayer that we deal with all the time, most of your traditional four-year institutions out there, Brian, I don't know if, you know, I know you don't want to speak ill of your brethren in other institutions, but the four-year institutions don't seem like they're keeping up the way a Strayer is. Talk a little bit about what you're doing at Strayer, what people should know about how higher ed can be accessible, relevant, and personalized in ways that maybe some of us listening don't have any clue. Yeah, it's a uh, great uh, question, and uh, I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we all have to begin with the uh, recognition that the, um, you know, the education marketplace uh, in the U.S. is remarkably uh, diverse. And, um, you know, uh, I think what, where higher ed has, um, you know, been uh, somewhat uh, ahead of the curve, though we'll uh, talk about the limits uh, on that, uh, has been on uh, in uh, recognizing that, you know, we need uh, different kinds of institutions uh, to serve uh, different kinds of students and different interests and different uh, skills and all the rest. So, you know, we've long maintained a system of uh, four-year institutions, private, public, um, for-profit, two-year institutions. And even uh, today we see the emergence of uh, things like uh, coding boot camps and Mm -hmm. Uh, companies uh, embarked on their own uh, skill uh, development. And uh, where Strayer sits there is uh, we have uh, a long history, a uh, more than 125-year history of uh, serving working adults who uh, are uh, looking uh, to make a change in their lives uh, to be able to adapt to evolving uh, marketplace needs or uh, the need to earn more money, and uh, so we have uh, always um, is uh, partnering closely with uh, employers, uh, corporate uh, America, to try to understand what the uh, real value-driving skills in the uh, marketplace are, and then uh, equipping our students uh, with those. Now, where the innovation really uh, comes in, though, is um, you know. Our students are busy uh, people. Uh, most of them are working, raising families. Uh, they have lots of uh, demands on their time. And so a big factor that they are seeking uh, from us is one of uh, convenience. So we have a, uh, uh, well, we have a, a network of uh, campuses, some uh, 70 uh, campuses around the country. We see that more and more of our students are moving online, and uh, what we are learning is that uh, the way to make an online education successful is, in part, to uh, personalize it, make it highly uh, relevant uh, to our learners, and uh, to make it highly engaging. 
So we are uh, undertaking a, a way of totally revamping uh, our content to make sure that we're in tune with uh, skill demands and that we present content in ways that is, uh, you know, uh, adaptive to the individual needs of our learners and uh, is engaging. And so we uh, create an environment where uh, we're not boring students uh, to death in our classrooms, uh, but presenting them with uh, content that is uh, both relevant and interesting. And so they're coming to you because they want to get back to the marketplace or they want to uh, accelerate their level in the marketplace what kinds of what give me, give some examples of what kind of students are coming through and graduating? What are you doing for them? Yeah, so uh, for example, we have long partnered with uh, Verizon, uh, the uh, telecom company. So we actually teach uh, programs in Verizon uh, facilities uh, around the country. <laughs> and what we find is that many of our students are. Uh, employees, uh, for example, in uh, Verizon call centers, uh, people who are working the phones uh, by day, uh, want to be able to advance uh, in their careers uh, for uh, one reason or another, may not have uh, finished college or may need a uh, master's uh, degree. And so what we're able uh, to do is to teach right there in their offices, uh, in their uh, corporate uh, facilities. Uh, and by doing so, we can uh, be uh, convenient for them uh, in working with uh, Verizon and other uh, corporate partners. We can make sure that our content actually is adding uh, value for, uh, for the employer. And uh, it ends up being kind of a win-win-win. Verizon wins, uh, their employees win, and we certainly win by having the, um, you know, the wisdom of uh, Verizon and uh, the industry of uh, their uh, their their employees. That is so smart. You know, this might sound like a no-brainer, but I'm just thinking about all the articles I've read lately and all the discussions about, you know, making. Uh, school applicable to the workforce and making school relevant, and here's Strayer already doing it. It seems to me sometimes we scratch our heads and ask why aren't schools doing more of X when there are organizations like yours, companies, universities that are already doing it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I recall uh, going down uh, to uh, Tennessee and pitching a uh, major uh, corporate uh, client, one that certainly everyone has uh, heard of. And uh, we went down uh, to pitch uh, to them, um, you know, helping them uh, develop uh, skills training uh, for the employees. And I recall them uh, telling us that they had um, sought out the uh, services of more t- uh, traditional institutions in the uh, state. And uh, the fact is, you know, those institutions weren't willing to uh, accommodate uh, this very large employer uh, by uh, adapting content. They weren't willing uh, to change the uh, pace at which uh, they work and just uh, really didn't speak the uh, language of business. 
and uh, I think all of those uh, are advantages uh, that we uh, bring uh, to the marketplace. You know, we're involved uh, in a very big project to demonstrate that if we unsilo education from K through career in rural America, we'll not only improve the schools, we'll improve the community. So I need to, I need to get with you soon because that's the yeah. biggest issue in rural America oh, yeah. that we're hearing is the schools are totally disconnected to what's expected in traditional college, in the career force. You know, career and technical institutions aren't keeping up with uh, sort of more technological, sophisticated skills. Who do you all go to for sort of this base of science? I mean, isn't this just rapidly changing? How you how do you figure out how to align what you're teaching to that workforce, to that corporation? Well, it's uh, it's simple. We we have to maintain an uh, open line uh, to a uh, variety of employers. And uh, and then you know you also have to have a um, you know a system of uh, course design and uh, instructional uh, 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 support that uh, pivots uh, rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I I would say that uh, by virtue of the work that we do with uh, Verizon and. Yeah, Chrysler and uh, an array of uh, employers. Uh, we we are always uh, seeking out ways uh, that we can make our content better and uh, more relevant. And uh, we also uh, get uh, a lot of feedback from uh, students and uh, alums. You know, one thing that is uh, critically uh, important is that we uh, track our uh, alumni satisfaction. Um, you know, once a uh, student leaves us, you know, how do they feel about their uh, experience with us? Uh, what has it meant for their, um, you know, for their earnings and their, uh, you know, job uh, positions uh, in the years uh, that they left? And so we actually track uh, all of that in, a, uh, in an effort to measure uh, in uh, real uh, tangible ways, uh, the ROI of uh, of uh, you know students' uh, investment uh, to study with us. That's fantastic. It's something that everybody should be doing. Um, Brian Jones, president of Strayer Education. Let me ask you a question about a current policy topic that I'm sure you'll have something to offer. Uh, During the Obama administration, a rule was adopted uh, entitled Gainful Employment, which required institutions uh, only for-profit institutions, tax-paying, I like to say, institutions, to actually prove that in order for them to continue to participate with federal programs and funding, they would have to demonstrate that their graduates were gainfully employed. Lots of people called it discriminatory. We know that not all for-profits are great. We know that not all non-profits are great. And the Secretary of Education now, Betsy DeVos, has uh, suggested she will be relooking at that and lifting that. What is the buzz in the higher ed community about that, and what do you all think? Well, uh, you know, I do think the uh, the buzz in the uh, community, certainly in uh, the uh, adult uh, serving uh, community, is um, you know that uh, the rule was uh, deeply uh, flawed. Um, 
And I actually served uh, on the uh, negotiating uh, committee uh, a few years ago, uh, representing uh, our sector. And uh, look, I mean, our view uh, here at Strager is, um, you know, we uh, are happy uh, to live with uh, uh, any uh, accountability uh, measure. And uh, even under the old uh, gainful uh, employment rule, um, you know, we had uh, not a single uh, program uh, that failed even under that uh, old uh, onerous test. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've also always been of the view that uh, we should not be singled out by, by virtue of our tax status. Um, we are happy uh, to be subject uh, to an accountability um, uh, measure provided that all of higher ed is uh, subject uh, to those uh, same rules. So we have been uh, active uh, over the years in pushing uh, what we call a uh, a unitary standard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, come up with a uh, a baseline for uh, accountability and uh, apply equally uh, across uh, all of higher ed. And uh, we are confident that uh, in uh, that environment, we will um, not only um, you know survive but uh, thrive. And uh, so I look forward uh, to revisiting that role and uh, revisiting with uh, something uh, that uh, applies across the board. Yeah, you make such a good point. I mean, if you think about, it, I'm sure everybody out there has a story about a community college that did great and a community college that doesn't do so well or a right. you know company that trained people really well and maybe a company that didn't. Again, it shouldn't matter whether or not uh, the federal government recognizes you as a 501c3 nonprofit or whether you happen to be a tax-paying business. It should be about right. equal, equal expectations expectations of results. Well said. I I couldn't have said that uh, better myself. Well, and you know, you have always been very devoted to this whole notion about accountability, and you recognize, which is what I really value, Brian, that it's about, yes, rules, and you have to have some standards. Obviously, you have to be firm on the ends, but you also kind of bringing it full circle to something you said earlier in the show, you have to allow for robust choice. You have to trust and empower parents and the individual students, many of whom are older students now, uh, to make decisions about how best to educate themselves, how best to educate their children. And I just want to make sure that everyone listening knows that you are one of our amazing eight silver honorees for the Center for Education Reform's 25th anniversary coming up this October. And uh, hopefully, as you've been listening, you've been understanding why Brian Jones is, in fact, uh, one of those honorees, not just a pioneer from the, from the very inception of your exposure to school, whether it was at UCLA or coming to Georgetown, getting involved with the department, getting involved with charter schools, now as Strayer, um, and your bio just goes on and on. But one of the questions I'm asking everyone, I'd love you to share your thoughts with us, is what's, what's changed the most when you think about the last 25 years, and what do you believe is really still yet to come? Uh, boy, that is a uh, big <laughs> question. Um, so I do think what has uh, changed uh, the most is uh, I, I, I believe there is a, uh, a consensus 
around the idea that, you know, education uh, is a uh, life changer and um, that uh, accountability is uh, important. Uh, but uh, I think what most uh, concerns me is um, I think for many years um, there was a uh, bipartisan uh, consensus uh, around many of uh, these things, even uh, some uh, degree around the, the uh, choice idea with uh, strong uh, bipartisan uh, support for uh, charter schools. Um, but what I do see uh, emerging is uh, an increasing sort of ideological uh, polarization. And uh, I, th I think at uh, some level, uh, it really does come down to a, um, uh, a relative comfort or uh, lack thereof uh, with, um, you know, non-governmental market participants coming in and, uh, you know, uh, uh, being part of uh, the provision of uh, educational opportunity. I do think that there is an, um, an emerging, in my mind, uh, uh, to use a strong word, I'd say uh, a retrograde uh, view that, um, you know, non-governmental actors are not uh, to be trusted uh, around uh, public uh, good like education. And uh, I think uh, that that really is a, uh, a dangerous uh, trend uh, that I see uh, emerging. This uh, idea of uh, choice and accountability and uh, empowerment of uh, consumers is, uh, I think, uh, critical uh, to uh, continuing innovation and progress in uh, education. And uh, too often, you know, uh, I think government monopolies seek uh, to thwart that uh, kind of thing. You know, that is um, pure wisdom. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, well, that wasn't this the very reason that our founders left England? Because they didn't believe the government nor the king yeah. had all the answers. Yeah, and they right. wanted the chance to create their own society, uh, right. which is really what you're talking about. You're talking about creating communities and societies around people's needs and, um, and driving that. Um, final question, Brian. You talk a lot about, through a number of articles that I've read, and I've heard you, of course, in person, um, pay great tribute to your dad, uh, who was a role model for you. You know, yeah. you said at one point um, that Strayer allowed you to give back um, yeah. to empowering people like your dad to take control of their lives. And you're a dad um, and have amazing kids. So how did your dad influence you? And, and what's the... What's the best way to be a great father? I just think that's an important question for lots of people to hear the answer yeah, to. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's a great question, and um, um, my dad is uh, unequivocally uh, my hero. Um, you know, he uh, began his uh, adult life uh, very much uh, like the uh, students that we serve. Uh, left high school, wasn't sure that uh, college was uh, right for him. You know, went to work washing cars and then uh, got married and had a family. 
And uh, then I realized uh, that if we wanted to um, you know, build a uh, better life, a uh, college uh, degree mattered. So he uh, went to school at night, uh, got a bachelor's degree, and went to school at night and got an MBA, all paid for, uh, for by his uh, employer and uh, went on to become a uh, very successful uh, insurance uh, executive. And, uh, you know, he's uh, retired today. He and my mother uh, live in Los Angeles and uh, just uh, visited their 50th uh, country. And, uh, you know, so uh, education changed his life, it changed my life, and uh, it changed my uh, kids' uh, lives. And uh, so you ask, uh, what does it uh, take uh, to be a good father? And uh, I actually heard a uh, great line recently in a uh, film um, called uh, Gleason uh, about uh, an athlete uh, named Steve Gleason. Steve Gleason has uh, ALS, uh, as uh, I do. And uh, in this uh, film... Uh, which he made for his uh, son. He says that uh, the job of a father is to pass on the best of himself uh, mm-hmm. to his children. And uh, in many respects, uh, my dad has uh, done that in spades. Um, to the extent that I have a uh, sense of, you know, of uh, public spiritedness and uh, uh, a commitment to giving back and creating an opportunity, a sense of uh, justice. Um, I get that uh, directly uh, from my dad. And uh, so I have uh, three kids, uh, as you uh, noted, and uh, that is my uh, challenge every single day, uh, to commit to them, uh, to try to show them the best of myself and uh, teach them uh, how to be uh, their uh, best selves uh, for themselves and for the community uh, around them. I think everyone out there, uh, that was kind of a mic drop, Brian, everyone out there needs to take that to heart. I'll add to that um, kind, which you are, and thoughtful, and uh, always learning and always willing to um, pursue uh, whatever it takes to get the job done. This has been extraordinary, and it has been such an honor to interview you, Brian, my friend. Thank you so much for talking to me on this edition of Reality Check. Well, Jeannie, I'm so grateful, and uh, I have uh, admired you for uh, so many years now, and so uh, I'm uh, I'm just uh, honored beyond belief uh, to be a part of this. It's a blessing to be on a journey with you, Brian. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you in Miami, October 26th, and uh, and I know before. Thanks again, Brian Can't Jones. Can't wait. All I'll right. see you there. Take care. Thank Thanks, you. Jeannie. Reality Check is a weekly podcast produced by National Review and posted on Monday at nationalreview.com. If you like what you heard in this podcast, and I hope you did, you might want to subscribe for free and make sure you don't miss any future programs. You can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And you can also find much more about education reform, opportunity, and innovation at the Center for Education Reform's website, edreform.com. Don't forget, tune in to Reality Check every week.